0: where we talk to people from the world of audio about their ideas opinions and methods hi i'm mark young for today's episode i spoke with the accomplished fiddle player casey Dreesen. in the podcast he describes his earliest bluegrass influences how he built a successful career in Nashville, and his latest project exploring other musical cultures around the world with his fiddle casey Dreesen is next Casey, thanks so much for speaking with me today. How are things in North Carolina right now?
1: Doing good, Mark. Thanks for uh, having me. It's, uh, this, well, spring is starting to happen. Trees are budding, and uh, I get pretty excited around spring and seeing what happens outside, so I'm excited.
0: All right. You're an accomplished fiddler and a graduate of the distinguished Berklee College of Music. I've always wondered what happens when a fiddle player and a classical violinist end up in the same room together. Is there a tension in the air? Is <laughs> there a hint of violence? Uh, <laughs> uh, is there, I don't know, is it more curiosity
1: and mutual admiration? Uh, there's maybe a hint of violins. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, it really kind of depends on the musician, I think, and the uh, what's happening now in the violin uh, world is that it, there's a lot of people that are uh, expanding beyond, you know, what their backgrounds traditionally have been, whether it's folk music or classical music and trying to find uh new inspiration from different places and finding their ends to uh, to improvising and finding their ends to a uh, higher level of technique and things like that. So really it's a, yeah. it's an attitude, I think. And, uh, I tend to hang out with folks that are really excited about all this stuff.
0: So less violence. That's good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Trying more jamming. Yeah, Yeah, that's right.
1: right. So you were taught by your father. Is that correct? Yeah. My dad's a musician. Uh, You know, he's a a musician, not by profession, uh, but Uh he's been playing music his whole life. And uh, so I was brought up going to bluegrass festivals uh, with my family. Okay.
0: And so that's exactly what he introduced you to as a fiddle player was jazz and bluegrass from the get go. So that was kind of what you, I guess what we'd say you, you incubated in as a fiddler
1: yeah, or absolutely. Yeah. My background is as a bluegrass musician. And then I started playing jazz around, uh, junior high and high school. Uh-huh. Um, I would participate in orchestras in their, uh, in their, public school programs. Um, but that mm-hmm. was kind of the extent of my classical background, uh, you know, checking books and things like that. So I really don't say I'm a classical violinist. I say I'm a fiddle player.
0: So at what point did you head to Nashville? Is that kind of the logical path for a fiddle player that you go looking for work in Nashville?
1: You know, uh, yeah, I would say that's a good place to start for a fiddle player. Uh, if you're looking to be around the uh, community, you know, and, and in this industry, uh, Nashville certainly has one of those happenings for uh, fiddlers. I moved there uh, actually the summer before my last year of college, and I got a gig down in Nashville uh, through uh, one of my heroes. His name uh, is Tim O'Brien, a multi instrumentalist, uh, great vocalist out of the bluegrass world, and he was tasked with putting together a band for Steve Earle uh, to do some mm. blue, to do some bluegrass work, and. So he asked me to do that, and I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to uh, check Nashville out for a little bit. So I moved down there for the summer, uh, got to get the lay of the land and meet some folks and uh, did this gig. And then I went back to school uh, for my senior year, and afterwards it seemed like a logical choice (laughs) to go back to uh, Nashville afterwards. Right. And then so did you play— regularly with
0: Steve Earle. I know you also did a lot of stuff with Bella Fleck. I mean, was this all at the same time or over what kind of period are we talking about? How many years?
1: Yeah, I lived in Nashville for 11 years and okay. uh, the gigs with Steve was mainly that first summer, kind of like the three months uh, of summer. And then uh, occasionally gigs would happen once in a while, you know, over the next couple of years with him, just sort of festival gigs as they came up. Uh, and so uh, at that point, I was just a a, a working fiddle player uh, trying to find mm. his way in Nashville, looking for opportunities mm. and uh, get try, trying to get out there, really.
0: I, I also read uh, when I was doing a little research that you did a soundtrack for the Johnny Cash movie as well. So, I mean, is that all just part of being a fiddle player in Nashville that it's, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is it different than, say, the experience of a guitarist? Maybe, you know, I know there are a lot of session musicians in Nashville, is being a fiddler different than, say, a, a session guitarist there?
1: You know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a session guitarist, but I would imagine, you know, it's kind of, it, it, I would say it's similar, but I, th- I think there are a couple of different career paths uh, or people sort of can gravitate towards one or another. Uh, you might be more uh, in the studio, and that's mm-hmm. uh, your main gig, or you might be more of a road player, and you're... Uh, you're playing in different people's bands. And then there's uh, those that sort of, you know, kind of balance both of those, depending on what opportunities come up. And I'd say that I did a, a balance of both of them. I always really enjoyed playing live. And then uh, when I had the opportunity to go in the studio for uh, different projects, uh, I always really enjoyed that. But I wasn't part of the studio uh, uh, machine down in okay. in Nashville. Uh, yeah yeah, I think I was a little outside maybe of a uh, standard, uh, country fiddle playing that was going on.
0: Well, that's a very good segue to my next question, because I obviously where we're going with this interview, uh, I wanted to ask at what point did you decide, or at what point did you start thinking about taking the fiddle out of the traditional American music context? Because I was also reading about the Sparrowland Quartet with, with Bella Fleck and how that how you worked with other musicians, and then you were integrating Chinese melodies and other components into that. I mean, so what? At what point did that start to happen?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I th- I think it's it's always been part of my makeup. I think mm-hmm. uh, as a fiddle player, yeah. um, trying to find inspiration from different sources. You know, maybe non-standard sources. Um, just always getting ideas from different instruments. Like I used to. Uh, develop techniques on the fiddle by listening to mandolin players. Mm. And okay. I would learn solos off of records that w- weren't necessarily the fiddle player. Like I loved uh, what Tony Rice played on the guitar, and I, but I wanted to play that on the fiddle. Or, okay. would, or how Jerry Douglas backed up a vocal and I wanted to get that character in my playing. Mm-hmm. So I was always looking for other types of uh, inspirations. And my first international opportunity that kind of got me inspired, I'd say was probably going to Finland. Um, Finland was an early one and also Scotland and Ireland. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, being exposed to different cultures and uh, also their music cultures and hearing this music that I was unfamiliar with, but really, really inspired by. And uh, so I think that kind of started it a long time ago, really. Mm
0: I mean, I guess that's at least for me as as you know as a as a layman or a a, a pedestrian or something. However everybody describe it. I, I guess when I think of fiddle, I guess that's the next closest tradition would be Ireland, right? But obviously, it goes much farther than that. Like you're saying, I guess what was Finland? Was that are you talking like Lapland or, or like traditional Sami musicians or what was that there?
1: No, I was a uh, t- my. I think I was there when I was probably 21 or mm. 22, okay. probably 21. Uh, so I just moved down to Nashville and I was asked to fill in for somebody who ended up not being able to teach at the, at a camp. Mm-hmm. And it turned into, so teaching and a, and a and a gig at the festival. And this was sort of, uh, this was up in Hopavessi, which was kind of mm-hmm. halfway up Finland or so. Excuse me. And uh, so there were many things that were familiar to me about it's Finnish folk music. Uh, the musicians that are up there are, are playing Finnish folk music. Uh, so it's not the Sami music, but uh, so there are things that are familiar about how the environment is, you know, jam sessions and traditional tunes, you know, so that's all very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. What I didn't, the time signatures were different. Okay, uh, The mm-hmm. inflections were different. The, uh, the, is there improvisation, or is it everybody playing the melody? Uh, you know, so those types of things are different. So there's some familiarity uh, to it, but there's also this new quality, and uh, I just found it really exciting. And also, just the uh, meeting new people and you know having new cultural experiences was uh, also fantastic for me.
0: Speaking of that, it was at what point did you move to Spain? You moved to teach at Berkeley's campus in Valencia, right?
1: Yeah. So I lived in Nashville for 11 years, and uh, then my family moved to Asheville, North Carolina. So from oh, okay. Nashville to Asheville. yeah. So uh, that was confusing. And uh, then a few years after living there, um, I got an opportunity, or there was a job that came up in Spain. Uh, Berklee College of Music had opened up a, a, a campus there recently as their first international campus. And they needed uh, a new director of their contemporary performance program. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the contemporary performance with a production concentration. So that means, uh, you know, how to make records, essentially uh, being in the studio, but also being a performer. And I also studied when I was at school, I studied uh, recording engineering. And uh, so that was something that I was familiar with and enjoyed as well. And. I got this opportunity to apply for the job and I ended up getting the job. And so uh, my family and I moved to Valencia, Spain for uh, four years and I uh, ran that department.
0: And was there at some point while you were in Spain, was there a conscious moment where you thought you'd like to devote yourself even more or more full time? I guess is what you would say to exploring these acoustic music traditions of other cultures. Was there some moment
1: You know, I I would actually say the moment was before moving to Spain. Okay. And, uh, I remember, I remember being in Nashville, uh, working with a, a friend of mine, his name is Brad Henderson. Um, he's been a partner that I've worked with for a long time, just sort of developing, uh, different projects and, uh, just sort of thinking ahead and thinking about career and stuff like that. So, uh, he and I were sitting down, just sort of thinking, "What is what is the future? You know, mm-hmm. where what is my career going to be like as a strange fiddle player?" <laughs> and uh, and I remember he had me put all these things down on post its uh, of things that I was currently interested in uh, or doing at the time. And so uh, I kind of looked at all these things and said, "Well, boy, someday I would love to do a project with musicians from around the globe." I don't know what shape it will take, but I would like to find a way to meld my passions for travel and collaboration. So that project is
0: called Otherlands. Can you tell us kind of the framework of what that what it actually was? I mean, you've described yeah. it in kind of in terms of, of what you were aiming for, but what is actually Otherlands?
1: Yeah. So uh, Otherlands, Lens uh, Global Music Exploration is what I uh, is the full name of it. And the idea in the beginning uh, was to travel around, uh, let music dictate where we were going to travel, either Mm. uh, through musical connections that I had made over the years or through uh, friends of friends and uh, meet up with musicians that have roots in their local traditions uh, and basically just get together and share, and mm. just kind of have a, an experience with each other. Really, the goal was to just sit down and to learn about each other's traditions, share a tune, share some stories. For me, it's a it's a project of discovery and and sharing and collaboration. That's really what it uh, what it started as, and that's I think really what it continued to be. I just wasn't sure at the beginning what. The output was going to be okay. at the end, you know? In the end, we went to seven countries. We started in Spain and uh, we uh, took a brief dip into Portugal. We went to Ireland, this is in order, uh, Scotland, India, Japan, and then Finland. Mm-hmm. And we had a couple of other things planned. Uh, but by the time we got to Finland, we got there just in time for the borders to close. And then we were there for two months, uh, in the first COVID lockdown. And, uh, we eventually came back to the U S uh, towards the end of May.
0: Okay. Well, why don't we dive right in then? You said your first stop was Spain. You're going to, you're going to play something for us and then you can, do you want to set it up and then, yeah,
1: Yeah. you know, so, uh, Spain has a really, uh, it was a very rich country, very, uh, culturally rich there. And there, a lot of people think of flamenco, but the ones I'm going to, the one I'm going to play for you is actually from another tradition that's up in the Northwestern corner of Spain, which uh, is in Galicia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they have a, a tradition there that, uh, that has, uh, sort of nods towards Celtic music, but also very distinctly from the Iberian Peninsula as well. And uh, the musician that I'm playing with, he's, uh, he plays the Zanfona, otherwise known as the Hurdy-Gurdy. Mm-hmm. And his name is Ancho Pintos, And he's an amazing, amazing composer and musician as well. And this is, uh, this is one of his pieces, uh, an excerpt from it, which is called K or Ka. And uh it's basically his take, uh sort of a Picasso-esque kind of uh jota. So it's it's in that six, but then it kind of gets a little squirrely as well. Uh so it's okay. the two of us sat down for a uh for a for a day and uh we just had an amazing time. I'd never played with a hurdy gurdy before, uh, nor had I ever played one physically, but I got to by the end of the day, which
0: was really, really I, I just I just love the I mean, Zanfona sounds cool, but hurdy-gurdy, I just love the way the word sounds, let alone the music. Let's hear the music of the hurdy-gurdy as well, then.
1: Yeah, so here's a little excerpt. Uh, so it's just the two of us. I say that because the hurdy-gurdy has got so much resonance, and it's got uh-huh. all these drone strings, and it's a huge uh, sound. So Okay, uh, cool. Here, Let's check it out. It, here it comes. Yeah.
0: I really, I totally hear what you were saying about the, just the drone element of it behind it of, of what it gives for that, um, depth, I guess it is, but, and also just use the technical term, say just the vibe of it. It feels like it's got like some, some, a little bit of medieval thing going on or Renaissance, but then also, I guess Spain always has a little bit of Eastern influence as well. That's interesting. I mean, how did you approach it? As a, as a fiddler, you said it was his piece. So how do you go about fitting yourself into his work?
1: Yeah. So I was, uh, I was given a playlist by a friend, mm-hmm. uh, before, or just kind of in preparation for some of these, for some of these trips, uh, I would reach out to people. And on this playlist I got, uh, for some Galician music from a friend, uh, had this piece on it. And I thought, wow, this is a really cool piece. And I listened to it and I thought I can probably learn this one. This seems all right. And so I suggested it to him during that day. I said, I really love to learn this piece. Ka, K. Hmm. And it ended up being a little more complicated than I had expected on first listen. And uh, because it's it's got all these little twists and turns and these little details to it that when when you first are listening it doesn't sound complex in a way, you know, it's deceiving, I suppose. And then when I got into learning it, there was a lot of repetition. He would play it for me and I'd play it back for him and then trying to remember the, the order of the parts. And, you know, it was a, it was a hard fought day, but mm-hmm. we were determined to like, to get this tune. Uh, and as far as like, how do you fit into it? Um, well, I mean, his instrument, even though it functions differently, it's still kind of like a fiddle. Right. It's Mm. got these, you know, it's got uh, rosin on a wooden wheel that Mm. that causes the strings to vibrate much like the bow vibrates. He's in the key of C and I've got a low C string on my instruments. Our instruments share tones and qualities, which made it exciting.
0: Taking the hurdy-gurdy where no one has gone before i guess
1: that's (laughs) the i don't know that seems like a lot (laughs) no no okay all right how old is a hurdy-gurdy i mean does it go back hundreds of years as well or is it your reference as a medieval or renaissance type of instrument i think probably accurate Hmm. Uh, but i am not an expert there we'll do
0: the research after after the podcast here do you want to dive straight in on the second one where did you go
1: next we did not go there next uh there were two countries in between but uh, we went to India hmm. when we were down in the south. Uh, I was in uh Bangalore or Bengaluru, and uh, I was meeting with a, uh, a musician, a friend of a friend. His name is Ragu Deeksheet, mm-hmm. and he's an amazing singer, songwriter, uh, very powerful musician. And so, Ragu took this opportunity, he said, I have this. I've been doing this thing a lot. I haven't really done it in public yet. It's, uh, I've been taking poetry from uh, a poet that I really like from the state of Karnataka. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been trying to put lyrics and uh, not, excuse me, I've been trying to put music uh, to and melody to these poems. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just something I've been doing, you know, sitting around on my own. And he said, maybe we could do something like that. And to me, that sounds fantastic. You know, it's a chance for him to do something new and it's a chance for me to do something new playing with somebody uh, that I hadn't played with before. But it was, it was just a really, you know, kind of a one-take powerful uh, experience for both of us, neither of us knowing what to expect and we just kind of went for it and it was really exciting. And I'm going to struggle on the pronunciation of uh, the poem, uh, but I'm going to give it a shot here. Uh, All right. The name of the song is (laughs) Baro Sadhana Kareje. Sadhana Kareje. And it's a very long word and difficult for my tongue to say. (laughs) So here's a little excerpt of uh, Raghu and myself uh, playing that song. All right. That's great. I mean,
0: you totally hear how powerful. he's got, he's got some powerful pipes on him, right?
1: Yeah, he really does. And that's not even the most powerful part of the song there. (laughs) Uh, There's a couple of times where he just, you know, opens completely up and it's, it's huge. Um, Mm. But it was really fun playing with him. And uh, it's, it's fun for me to think about, you know, how my playing or the ideas were developing and changing as the trip was developing and changing for me. Like when I was in that scenario, you know, playing the solos, thinking about different ways to improvise and uh, uh, to build build an improvisation, you know uh, with with different ornamentations, or I've been listening to a lot of music at that point, you know that was uh, from India, and I was hmm. thinking about how I was playing the fiddle differently, and I was listening to different cues and building solos in a different you know, in a different manner. And that was really exciting for me because I think that's one of the reasons it was uh, we felt so good afterwards, you know, is the the new things that had happened for both of us. Mm.
0: Because I know classical Indian music has a its own violin tradition. I don't know if that was for every case, but you're saying when you're in India or you were actually trying to get into the musical vernacular of each country before you were going into it? Or did you go into it and say, let's see what happens, depending on where you were?
1: At the beginning of the trip, I was trying to do research before getting into the country. Mm. And that lasted for the first maybe two countries. <laughs> but what I did try and do is when I did get to that country, I was just listening to music from that country. I was basically using uh, mm. Spotify uh, to search around for uh, just different musicians, different traditions, different, you know, uh uh, sections of the country, you know, like what's happening in the Northern part of India, what's happening in the Southern part of India, what's the classical music, what's the folk music in Mm. these places. And just trying to feed myself, you know, uh, just audio stimulus Mm. (laughs) of the area. And, you know, you're not, I'm not going to sound like a classical Indian violinist by any stretch, but the idea for me is that maybe I can just, you know, I, I can just nod towards some of that vibe and uh, I can let some of that come out in my playing uh, while uh, these musical situations are happening. Right. Um, right. Trying to get, try to do my best to get into uh, a little bit different headspace for myself.
0: Okay. What headspace are we going to go to next?
1: We're going to go to Japan. Cool. And uh, so we went to Japan after India and uh, I got the chance to meet with uh, uh, two musicians uh, or this. This is a trio is my what I'm trying to say. Uh, One one is playing. uh, His name is Yutaka Oyama and he plays the shamisen, Mm -hmm. which is uh, a three stringed kind of skinhead instrument. Got a little bit of a banjo sound mm-hmm. to it, I mm-hmm. suppose. Uh, played with a giant tortoise pick of sorts. And then the other instrument, uh, the musician is uh, Akihito Obama. And he plays the shakuhachi, mm-hmm. which is a bamboo, uh, traditional bamboo flute. And both of these instruments are super dynamic. They are They can play so quiet and they can play so loud as well. And we were sitting really close to each other, uh, in this. This was another little studio session, but it was a tiny room, so it's it just happens to not have much reverberation in it. <laughs> we played a traditional tune from uh, uh, Yutaka's area, and that he had suggested, and then he said, "Then we should improvise for a little bit." Okay, we'll improvise on the on the scale of the second song that we'll play. And the second song we chose was Sakura Sakura. And uh, I remember asking somebody, okay, so this is uh, 150 years old. This song, uh, is it, so is this traditional? Uh, I don't know. It's not old enough to be traditional.
0: Okay. <laughs> not for, right. Yeah. By Japanese. Not topic. for Japan.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's check it out. Yeah. So this is, yeah. So this is coming in uh, just during some of that uh, improvisation in between the two pieces. So you'll hear... Both the you, you'll hear good examples of the shamisen yeah. and also the shakuhachi. All right. <laughs> got some serious tempo to it. Yeah, it's got some tempo. There's some real intensity. It was fun.
0: It was amazing. I mean, it's amazing how you managed to fit yourself into these different musical traditions with your fiddle. I mean, is that a tribute to how versatile the instrument is or is it that it's got a universal nature i guess it was just to these stringed bowed instruments we were talking about the hurdy-gurdy but japan also has its own i don't i'm also not going to pronounce it properly is it the koku is that how you pronounce it there's like a a bowed stringed instrument or a rebob which is across the middle east Mm -hmm. do you feel that's what it is is it that So many different of these traditional musical traditions also have a fiddle-like instrument to it?
1: I mean, I think that's a—I think you could probably assume that, yeah, uh, because there are bowed instruments uh, throughout many uh, different traditional musics and and local cultures.
0: Mm. So— You've been back in North Carolina sitting out the pandemic for the past year, Mm -hmm. but once the world starts spinning again, what's your plan?
1: Yeah. You know, I didn't really know in the beginning what it was going to turn into. And this was like, this was my chance to, well, let's see Mm -hmm. what it can be and let's see what I can do on my own. Cause all of this is just, it's a, it's a one man operation. So I would really, really like to find a way to continue this project I would like to bring somebody else with me to help with these things. Uh, I've learned that. Uh, and I would like to find a way to also uh, get some funding for the project. You know, this is, this is all me right, right. now. Right. And, uh, but I want to find a way to continue. And, and uh, I was definitely inspired by this whole experience.
0: Well, I certainly look forward to following your future fiddling adventures. Uh, but in the meantime, I encourage everybody to check out the Otherlands videos on your website. We'll be sure to drop a link uh, in below the podcast. I guess it's it's your name, right? It's caseydrisen is where they'll find yep. everything. Is there a exactly. dedicated
1: Otherlands page somewhere as well, or is it? Yeah, within the website there, uh, caseydrisen dot com uh, forward slash Otherlands. Okay. Right. And uh, and that'll take you uh, to you'll get to see the the travels, basically, uh, the different collaborations that I did with people. There are 25 uh, different video collaborations hmm. that are up there um, uh, from six different countries. There are hundreds of photos. There's uh, background and uh, stories that I tell about each one of the encounters in uh, in, in the form of a blog. Uh, So that's that's all available uh, there, as well as links to the musicians that I played with so that if you want to find out more about them, Mm. you can go uh, on a deep dive and learn more about their music and their culture. So, yeah, that's all there. And then uh, there's a a record uh, on April 23rd. Okay, great. uh, That is is called Otherlands One. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is a selection of 13 tracks that span all the different countries. Physical formats as well as digital? For now, it's only digital. digital. Okay. So it'll be on, Fine. you know, all your streaming services as well as uh, iTunes for download. Okay,
0: great. Well, we'll look forward to that and wish you all the best, Casey. Thanks so much for speaking with me today. Yes,
1: yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: That was Casey Dreesen, and this has been Signal Path. This episode was recorded with an SM7B and Casey's fancy condenser mic, a KSM-44A. Be sure to tune in next time for more stories from the people shaping the world of audio.